Most of the people that attend this lecture do not come here. They're all over the place, all over the world. We found out that uh, we have a pretty big following in China now, which surprises me. So here we go. May the 2nd, 2010, lecture discussion number 22 on Zechariah 11, Matthew 27, Acts 1, 18 through 23, John 13, 27, Proverbs 6, Matthew 12, Revelation 6, and Revelation 13. Now, most of you know that that's, uh, that's been the context. All those aforementioned passages, they apply and they connect, but I really did that for the people who find us on iTunes or Podbean, whatever those two things are. But there seems to be a lot of them. So that is for them so that they can keep up as best they can. And you'll notice that I do that a lot uh, as I go through lately because of those folks. So, that said, keep in mind that the key to everything that we're going to talk about today and everything we've been talking about for 22 lectures is Zechariah 11. If you don't know the context that is Zechariah 11, you're going to struggle. struggle. Failing to keep Zechariah 11, am I too loud? I sound really loud to me. Turn it down? Okay. Thank you. Failing to keep, because I can't yell. That really bugs me. Failing to keep Zechariah 11 at the forefront is going to lead to interpretive error, along with a few other things. You have to know who Christ is. You have to know who the Antichrist is, or you're never going to understand the eighth mystery. So you've got to have Zechariah 11. If you don't understand Zechariah 11, interpretive error is going to come with respect to the eighth mystery, which is, as you know, and again, this is for people on iTunes, the eighth mystery is the mystery of the seed of Satan, Genesis 3.15, also called the mystery of the man of sin, 2 Thessalonians 2.3, also called the mystery of the Antichrist. So, the eighth mystery of the eleven mysteries is this mystery of the man of sin, or the mystery of the lie, it is also called in Scripture. Now, to state that in another way, if you don't have Genesis 3.15 and Zechariah 11, you'll never understand the words and the actions of Judas. They're going to be shrouded to you, they're going to be mysterious, they're going to be covered and and dark, and they're going to be undecipherable. You're not going to understand or ever figure out what Judas is doing or why he's doing it or what he's saying. That prophecy in the Old Testament with regard to the seed of Satan and the Antichrist, or the idle shepherd, as it's called in Zechariah 11, critical information. Now, all of you know that, and I understand that. But without it, error is going to abound. And most certainly, the very best you can hope for is a shallow understanding. Just the elementary. Now, I'm going to emphasize for what will be the final time, I hope. I'm really planning on being done today. I'm not going to make it, but I'm really planning on it. I said to myself, I'm going to finish this lecture on number 22. And then I wrote it. And the last words I write almost is there will be a lecture 24. So I got two more to go. But anyway, let me emphasize. I'm not going to say it again, I hope, for the next couple of lectures. Leaving aside the Zechariah 11 prophecy, at best, is going to bring you an ignorant position on the Antichrist or on the mystery of the man of sin. At worst, it will bring you complete failure with regard to this. So Judas, the seed of Satan, the Antichrist, all of that 
you'll never get it, and I feel bad for you. So that's why I keep emphasizing it. Now, countless and countless books are written on Judas and the Antichrist. Very, very few have made the connection back to Zechariah 11. Now, last Sunday I had a silly notion, as I said, that we'd be able to move away from our current topic and that I would be mostly wrapped up and every one of you would have successfully figured it all out and answered all the questions, pretty much solved, done, move along, nothing to see here, folks. That was my hope. And I walked around the congregation a little bit and sat down and ate all the food and realized that that is not going to happen. It crushed my delusion. So today, here we are again, May 2nd, 2010, lecture discussion number 22. This is going to be the one, and I wrote this, by the way. Here, let me read it. This will be the one that answers all of the final remaining Judas questions. Every single one. None left after today. Got them all done. And I also wrote this. Yes, I know. Pretty bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Which is one of my favorite movie lines of all time. I miss John Wayne. We have John Wayne Maine here. It's not the same. Okay. I'm not going to make it. I just say right off the bat, I'm not going to get them all done. But I'm going to get the big ones done. And I'll pick up the little ones in the next couple of weeks. Consider that the Internet abounds, and I know this now. I didn't know this at all. I was bragging to somebody just a few minutes ago that I have never in my life intentionally sent an email. I don't ever intend to. Uh, I intend to handwrite things till I die. That's what this is. I don't own a cell phone. I do kind of configure the Internet out a little bit, but not most, not mainly, and I certainly don't have uh, what my wife now has, which is a life filled with Farmville. I don't have that. But I did mess around the other day, and I found out, as I expected, that the Internet abounds and it is teeming with, it is just saturated with atheistic skeptics who are certain that the issues that we're going to be covering today cannot be answered. And that just stuns me. This was not a mystery 200 years ago. People had a lot of this figured out 200 years ago. All the books you read that have any value, that have any Zechariah 11 context, are a couple of hundred years old, at least a hundred years old. And so you would think that we would have somebody somewhere that would answer these silly things uh, that the uh, atheistic skeptics put in their websites. And they, they uh, are constantly gloating and they're mocking and they're dancing about and they're very confident in their assertions that um, none of these things that we're going to say today or none of the questions that I'm going to ask you today can be answered. And that is uh, unjustifiably confident of them. And that's a characteristic of foolish thinking, unjustified certainty. Anyway, we're going to counter all the most common of the attacks today as best I can, as time will allow, against the gospel accounts of Satan entering Judas, why he did it, when he did it, how many times he did it, of Judas buying a field, purchasing a field, why he purchased the field, where he purchased the field, who else may or may not have been part of that purchase, and then, of course, Judas hanging himself. So we're going to do our best against all of those. 
and I'll list them all here in a minute. And I also hope to present a rational, logical explanation of what was actually occurring. What I mean by that is an explanation that can withstand the scrutiny that uh, you certainly will find, as I said, on the Internet, but you'll find it in almost every church's because most churches don't deal with the eighth mystery. How come? You think you'd be interested in it? I've got 25 lectures going on it now. Think you'd be interested? Why don't churches take on the eighth mystery? Well, it requires a couple of things that they don't want to do. We'll get to that in a minute. But I hope that this is an explanation that contains and addresses all the attributes that come with Daniel 9 and Proverbs 6 and Matthew 12 and Matthew 27 and Revelation 13, 17 and 19 and, of course, Zechariah 11 and Genesis 3:15. And that's just to name a few. What did I leave out? I left out all the typology that is of the Antichrist. I left out in that list, uh, but I'll add it now. Samson and the honeybees. Samson and the honeybees is an antichrist typology. What do I mean by that? This is an actual person who actually killed a lion. And as you've heard me describe, Samson was how tall? He was about four foot eleven, maybe five foot on a good day. How much he weigh? Ninety-eight, hundred and two pounds. Well, who was he? He was a Jew. He was a Nazarite. This was a small, tiny Jewish man that tore lions apart with his bare hands, grabs the gate of a city, carries it up the hill, and throws it to where no one can get it again. He is a supernatural endowed person, and he is a type of Jesus Christ. But keep in mind, not just a type, an actual, literal man, Samson, that lived. He actually tore a lion apart, and he had this honeybee nest inside the lion. Goliath, as you know, is a Nephilim. Goliath had his head cut off by David, and that head is buried on Golgotha, or what we would call Golgotha. It's the place where David buried Goliath's skull, as you know. It's not a place that looks like Goliath's skull. I can't say that enough. That's ignorant. It's the place where Goliath's skull was buried. The David buried it. It is, of course, the Garden of Golgotha, and it is the exact place that Christ chose to have his crucifixion, where he put his feet, if you will, over the top of that skull, which is a 315 Genesis um, fulfillment. It is also Saul, the beautiful, gorgeous Saul, the tall, powerful Saul, who is a type of Antichrist as opposed to Samson. Samson is a multiple type, isn't he? Type of Israel, type of the Antichrist, and also a type of Christ. He really has a very complex attribute. An actual person, though, that really lived. Let me say that again. Literal. Really did what he said it did. God used them to teach truths. But Saul was this beautiful, handsome man chosen by Israel when Israel rejected the Shekinah glory. Israel did not want God as light watching over them. They did not want the I am. They wanted a human being like all other uh, Gentile nations as king. And so Saul was given and they cho- chosen by essentially Israel because of his beauty. Same thing for Absalom. Also types of the Antichrist. Nimrod, Pharaoh. Just to rattle off a few. And by the way, how many witnesses did, the, did God sin to the Pharaoh. And then two. So I hope you see the Revelation 11 pattern. It's called the typological pattern. Anyway, that is another very important point. I guess I could make it here. The interpretations of the words and actions of Judas have to connect to the Old Testament descriptions and types. 
If you have a position on Judas that doesn't match the Old Testament type of the Antichrist, uh, your position is invalid. Remember, I can't say it enough. Types of Christ who is creator God in the flesh. You must believe I am, he says in John 8.24. You must believe that I am creator God. You must believe that I am the God of all things, that there is nothing that is made outside of me. I hold all things in my hand. I am the I am, he says in John. And all over the place, of course, as we covered that last week, I am the I am, which means that he is outside of time in the present. He is only one in the present. He is the second person of the triune Godhead. If you don't believe that, he says in John 8.24, John 8.58, you will perish. So you have to know when you're talking about this subject who Christ is. He is omniscient God, always omniscient God, never not omniscient, omnipotent omnipresent God. Never. Then you also have to understand the types of Antichrist, and you must put it all together to get an accurate understanding of what's going on here. So all of that, and then the material as it applies to the first coming of the Antichrist, Revelation 17, 8, must fit together. So how many details you got? Thousands. And they've all got to fit. And if they don't fit, you have to say, what am I doing wrong? Hundreds and hundreds and thousands, if you will, uh, details and hundreds and hundreds of questions that have to be answered. And nothing else, by the way, is acceptable. If you have a position that doesn't answer thousands of questions, then your position is in jeopardy. So where do we start? Well, let's take on the obvious ones. I'm going to read them all off, but I'm only going to put the ones on the board that we're going to deal with. Why did Judas buy land? Why did Judas... Purchase a lot by real estate. Why? That's a key question. Do you know why? Have you answered it? Well, we'll answer that today. Why did the Pharisees buy land? In other words, how do I reconcile Matthew 27 with Acts 1? Did they buy the same lot? Did they buy different lots that are side by side? Why are they called the same thing if it's not the same lot? So why did Judas buy land? Why did the Pharisees buy land? Why did the Pharisees use the Zechariah 11 wages? Judas throws the Zechariah 11 wages at the temple potter. He's fulfilling Zechariah 11, and he knows it. He has Satan inside of him. He throws those wages at the temple potter. Why did Judas do that? Because doesn't Zechariah 11 seem to suggest that the good shepherd would do it, not the idle shepherd? So you have to ask that. Okay? Why did the Pharisees use the Zechariah 11 wages of the good shepherd? And when they gave that money to Judas, when they gave that silver to Judas, did they know that that was the Zechariah 11 money, that they were fulfilling a prophecy? When Judas threw it, did he know that he was fulfilling prophecy? As you know, as you've been here, that's obviously the case. Question E. A, B, we're skipping down to E now. Keep track. What was discussed in the conferences? I have a conference Judas is constantly conferencing. Yeah, he's conferencing with the Pharisees or the chief priests. He's conferencing and conferring with and planning with the uh, scribes. And he also has the Levite captains. 
So he has a meeting. How many people are that, by the way? That's a big group. Hundreds. And he's meeting with them. So what was discussed at all these conferences? How many times did Satan enter Judas? Or, another way, reconcile Luke 22.3 with John 13.27. So how many times did Satan go into Judas? And then, of course, the obvious question, why did Satan enter Judas? What's he trying to accomplish? Why did Judas and Satan agree to deliver, to hand over? The word does not mean betrayal. Over and over again, remember, Christ is the omniscient I am. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. You cannot deceive God. So, the word does not mean betrayal. It means to hand over in the original Greek. Why did Judas and Satan want to hand over Jesus Christ? What were they going to gain out of it? It would seem contrary to their plan, but it doesn't. They're anxious to do it. They want to do it. They intend to do it, and they did do it. So what? Why did they want to avoid the multitude? There's a multitude of people following Christ. Why is there a multitude of people following Christ? What's he do? He heals all of them. Not happening today, by the way. So there's a great multitude. But they were very careful, the Pharisees. They did not want Christ handed over in front of that multitude. So why did they want to avoid the multitude? What's the problem? What were they trying to, uh, to get by? Because how powerful were the Pharisees, by the way? Could they handle a multitude of Jews? Well, they had a couple of things going in their favor. They had the captains or the Levite guard, the temple guard. How big is that guard? Very big. Maybe a thousand or so soldiers. Now, there are a lot of people in Jerusalem. We'll get to that in a minute. Why is there a lot of people in Jerusalem right now when we're talking about this? It's a pilgrimage festival. Which festival is it? Passover. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Why did they want to avoid the multitude that is following him around, getting healed every time they get anywhere near him? And by the way, as you know, never, not in the history and not in anywhere in the written word is, does anyone die if they're physically present next to Christ. Check that out sometime. He's life. Now, why did Christ choose Gethsemane? As you know, as we just said, he chose Golgotha because that is the place where Goliath's head is. He intends to be crucified on top of the skull of Goliath. That's why he chose the Garden of Golgotha to be crucified. Why did he choose the Garden of Gethsemane as his handing over, as his being delivered site, as the garden spot that he wanted to be handed over? And how did Judas know where Christ would be? He knew where Christ would be. It says so. How did he know that? You can. And then, of course, now another question that we'll get to. Why did Judas hang himself? He could have committed suicide, if you will, a number of ways. I don't believe he was committing suicide. That's another story. But why does he hang himself? What is he trying to gain? Now, reconcile 
How do you reconcile Matthew 27 with Acts 1 with respect to the death of Judas? I have uh, Matthew 27 that says he hung himself. I have Acts 1 that says what? It says he split open in front in a field, right? He bought a field, it says. So he bought the field and then he hung himself and somehow he split open. So which is it? I have to reconcile Matthew 27 with Acts 1 with respect to the death of Jesus. Why was this land called the field of blood? Was it called the field of blood because Judas bled on it? How much blood is that? I have nurses. How much blood I got, Lindsay Bell? A lot. More than you? I don't know how much blood I have. A couple of gallons, maybe? How much blood do I have? Somebody. Some, don't you ever get this, how, many, how much blood does a human being have? Questions? Probably on jeopardy. It's not a lot of blood if you're on a one-acre field, is it? So why do they call it the field of blood if I just have one guy die on it? Why would they do that? Why was the land called the field of blood? How did Judas, the only one in Scripture, of whom it is said that Satan entered into him, the only one in Scripture, of whom omniscient God called the devil, the only one in Scripture, of whom the omniscient God calls the son of perdition, and the only, what did I, how many, and the only one who went to his own place? So, the question is, is how did he get to his own place? Not necessarily where is his own place. And then why did Satan want the body of Moses? How come I'm throwing that in there? That's Jude 9. Satan contends with, um, with Michael, the archangel, for the body of Moses. Why did he want it? And what does that have to do with Judas? And finally, what was in the money box? There. There are 17 questions. 17 piece of pie, easy as cake questions. And yes, I brought the nail gun. Okay. And all of those 17 questions are interconnected. It's like Lincoln Logs. It's like Legos. Uh, everything connects together. And if you don't have it connected together, you do not have a structure of any value. That's the problem today, is that we have lost the understanding that the Bible is so interconnected that it clearly was written by God himself, even though he used men as a vessel. It nonetheless is impossible for man to write something like this. It's impossible. It interconnects so dramatically. Everything must relate to everything else. All 17 of those questions, and those are the easy ones, they all fit together. You have to, when you answer one, you begin to answer the others. It's very much like crossword puzzles. I do crossword puzzles. Did you know that? I waste a lot of my time doing crossword puzzles. It's my attempt to stave off Alzheimer's. As I drink the aluminum poisoning. But um, it, you really do learn that everything fits very much like that. When you start to get on a roll, when you unlock the... I do the, the Sunday New York Times and the Sunday L.A. Times crossword puzzle. And sometimes they go really easy and sometimes they don't. But one thing about them is, is that they're always, they always have a trick to them. They have a secret little clue. And when you figure out the clue, bang, the whole puzzle comes into place. And so it's really exciting for me to do that. That's what I call excitement. Yes, 
I know you have a comment you would like to make, something complimentary, I suspect. Five quarts of blood, okay. Five quarts of blood isn't very much blood when you consider you're on a big field. And so why do they call it the field of blood? Thank you. You got that off of the what? The internet with some device that costs thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Are you doing a crossword puzzle during the uh, sermon? You would be allowed. Okay. Anyway, if you don't have your Lincoln Logs all laid up and your Legos all laid up, and if you don't have them all interconnected, then as you build your house, your house is going to collapse, it's going to fall down, go boom. And you'll have nothing but a pile of pieces that you need to start putting back together again. It is a crossword puzzle. It is a, 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 you know, one of those jigsaw puzzles with something on each side. You've got to get it all together in order to get any progress. Are you going to get all of Scripture? You're not. You're not. But you do the best you can. You get the pieces that you can. Now, I know many of you have made substantial progress in this. You've talked to me. You've answered these and other questions that you've come. And like I said, I only put those five up here today. It's my plan, uh, of course, to make you answer them without me. I don't want to build your Lincoln Log Tower. It doesn't do me any good. I can build the tower. The key is, is to get you to build the tower. And if it falls down a bunch of times, who, fall, who knocks it over? You've built it. You think it's going good. And somebody comes over and says, that doesn't fit there. Who does that? Me. That's right. I knock it over. I have a very funny story, kind of, about me at McDonald's where a hockey team came over and there was a little kid. And he, you know, the McDonald's, you have the the one on Jewel Lake they had a little table where you could get these big pieces of Legos and this little kid was building the tower a bunch of punk hockey kids come in about 15 years old with their coaches and as they walked by they knocked over his Lincoln Logs or his Legos and I'm sitting there and what did I do? there's 15 of them which I immediately recognized wasn't anywhere near enough what did I do? I just grabbed him, blam, and brought him over next to me. And we talked about his attitude. And then I helped him pick up the, the Legos one at a time. While his mom and dad screamed everything they could at me. I said, we'll be done in a minute and then I'll talk to you two. <laughs> That's what I did. And McDonald's told me never to do it again. It's almost like the pickle story. Kid threw a pickle at McDonald's. I was framing that day and I had my bunny boots on. Matt was he was there with me and Kelly Crumb. And we were framing up on the hillside and freezing. We were freezing. We'd go to McDonald's and put our hands under the, the little warmers in the bathrooms because we were so cold. And we're sitting there and we're miserable and we're going broke and we're never going to make it. And... And a kid is from service high school. He's a bunch of them, 15 of them. And uh, he's eating pickles, or a sandwich, I'm sorry, eating a sandwich. And he doesn't like his sandwich. He doesn't like the pickle. So he takes the pickle and he throws the pickle at the wall. And I thought, this is the day that this, I'm not going to put up with this. So I get up. 
and I walk over to them. And I'm in bunny boots, and I'm a lot bigger than I am today because I was younger. Um, didn't carry as much, uh, what's that word that I want? Yes, body fat. And I'm in bunny boots, which made me about six, two and a half, and I'm car hearts, and I am just not happy. I'm cold, I'm, and I wanted that pickle. And so I told him, I went over and I grabbed it, and I have this framing hammer. It's a 24-ounce framing hammer hanging off of me. And I have the pickle, I have it in this hand, and I pulled the framing hammer out, and I said, is this your pickle? And I proceeded to tell them that I didn't appreciate them throwing food around. And I thought that they would be very upset at me, but they weren't. They were very polite, mostly, until they left. They thought they were out of range. I don't know why I told you that story other than there's Lincoln Logs in there somewhere, Legos, but I've never forgotten it because of how miserable I was, and I just can't deal with people picking on the weak. I don't like that very much, especially people that have no right to do so. Anyway, you have to build your house and put it together. It's my plan to help you build it, but I know you have to build it. I'm going to come over. I'm not going to knock it over. I'm going to come over and say, do you agree with me that this piece doesn't fit? And I'm going to pull it out and put it here. And what's going to happen to your position? Boom, 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 down it goes. And then what will you have to do? Build it again. Get on the Internet and see what all the questions are. They're sure they've got you stumped, okay? But today, this one time, this one time, I know you've got to build your own Lego tower, but today, this one time, I'm going to set aside what I know is best. In the long term, I'm going to concede, I'm going to have a concession here, I'm going to make an exception, and I'm going to answer all these questions, point blank. I've got 30 minutes to do it, and I'll answer them all perfectly. You'll all know. What about the people that didn't come? We'll never tell them. Your towers will go way up and they will have little puny ones. The only disadvantage today that I'm going to give you is I'm going to do it very, very fast. Bang, bang, bang. Quick as I can. So here we go. Answering everything maybe today. And I said this to a few of you already, but it bears repeating. You can't figure this out until you recognize that Satan is inside of Judas, and that makes them extraordinarily powerful, tremendously wise. And they are going up against omniscient God in the flesh. So I have the Christ, and I have the Antichrist. And so another key to this is Luke 22, 1 through 6. So write down Luke 22, 1 through 6. This is where you start. If you were starting to try to figure out... Uh, uh, Acts 118 uh, without Luke 22, 1 through 6 first. And I have left it out, haven't I? I gave it up last week to Dana who didn't come and it just made him so frustrated. But this is where you start. This is your first little building block, Luke 22, 1 through 6, because it details out some valuable information. Okay, it tells you about the chief priests, the scribes, and the captains, and all the conferences that Judas, with Satan inside of him, all the planning sessions that are going on, all the strategizing, all the agreements, all the promises, what was agreed to, what was promised, how many meetings, how long did it all take, and what were the issues. That's all going on in Luke 22, 1 through 6. So let's read that together really, really fast. Here we go. That's your first building block. You have it on your table in front of you. Look out for hockey players and don't throw any pickles. Here we go. I should have had it marked, but I didn't. And if you want to read along, here. 
Here's mine. So you see what mine looks like. I have argued with this guy that put this book out. Here's my Matthew 27. I'll show you this really fast. This is what yours should look like. You should have all these notes, all these corrections. Look what I wrote here. Well, come up and see it Latin later because I don't want to show, uh, I don't want to say for the people on the Internet who still respect me. Okay, here we go. That was funny. Thanks for laughing, John. 22, 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is a pilgrimage festival, the Passover Unleavened Bread first fruits. That, as you know, Christ is crucified on Passover. He is put in the tomb on unleavened bread. Three days, three nights, he rises on first fruits. Okay, so that's the pilgrimage festival that we have. You have to go, if you're a Jewish man, you must go to Israel. And there's very good reasons for that. It is the law. It is the God established his feast days or his festivals. Now, the feast day of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Two obvious questions. One, can you kill him? No, he's God. Do they, therefore, they don't know that. They don't know that. And they feared the people. Next question. Why did they fear the people? They've got an army behind them. Not only do they have a temple guard, but they also have the Roman governor. Now, my Bible says then. Does your Bible say then? Then. Okay, if your Bible says then and you don't know that the word doesn't mean then, you're in trouble. But I'll read it as then. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Now, immediately, if you think it does say then, you've got to now reconcile with John 13, 27, because it says there that Satan enters Judas after the sop of honor that he is given, the first piece of bread out of the Passover. The first piece of bread, of course, is the piece that you give to honor the guest of honor. Judas is the guest of honor at that Passover meal. He is given the sop after he is given the first piece of bread of love, of friendship, of great honor, then Satan enters him. So this seems to say that before the Passover meal, Satan entered Judas. How do you reconcile that? It's not on the board, but we'll do it. And then you can go on the internet and just smack people around. It's lots of fun. Then Judas entered, or Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So now I have this incredible person, don't I? I have this powerful being, Satan, and this man that he has this relationship with. And he knows very intimately, Genesis 3.15. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might deliver or hand over, is the actual word, him to them. And how do you hand over omnipresent God, by the way? You don't. Does Judas slash Satan know that? Yes, they do. How do we know they know that? Matthew 4. At the end of Matthew 4, Christ expels Satan. You don't do that to Satan unless you are extraordinarily powerful. So they're delivering essentially what to the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees? What are they delivering? What are they handing over? I like to call it a, a nuclear weapon here that's ready to go off. That's what they were hoping, of course. 
Where's that game you play where you try to guess the words and then you're going to hand it to the next person? Well, that's what they're doing. They know, they're expecting, they know this is a very powerful person. They don't know that he's God in the flesh. They haven't put the hypostatic union together yet, but they know that he's very powerful. So, they're going to hand him over and then they're going to do what? This should be cool because Judas and Satan, very, very evil, Proverbs 6, okay? Understand that they are evil in a way that is irrational. And so they intend to cause as much death as they can and they love killing their own followers. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might deliver him to them. And they were delighted. They were glad and agreed to give him money. Not any money. What money were they going to give him? They're going to give him the Zechariah 11 prophecy money. That's what they're going to do. So he promised and sought opportunity to deliver him to them in the absence of the multitude. They didn't want the multitude around. So he had to agree to that. Did he want the multitude around? Oh, yeah. But he agrees. So you see this conference. I have Satan inside of Judas. I have the scribes. I have the Pharisees. I have the captains. I have the military there. And we've got all of this going on. And Judas comes and he's striking an agreement. And he has Satan inside of him. Okay? Now I'm going to set aside when Satan entered uh, for now. But we're going to get to that hopefully today. Is it a pre-Passover entry? If, is Luke speaking chronologically? Let me put it another way. Is this meeting between Judas and Satan and the captains, the priests, and the scribes, is it chronological with regard to the Passover? That's a key question. And by the way, the thens are not then. And that's why this question comes up. That's why it's so easy to answer, frankly. Uh, I wish it wasn't such a mystery to people. But the word in the Greek means either and or it means now. It does not mean then. So the first thing you do is cross out where it says then and put and or now. And now you understand, I hope, why it is um, uh, the issue of whether or not it's chronological. There is a Hebrew principle, even though Luke is a Gentile and he's writing to Gentiles, there is a Hebrew principle of what's called recurrence. And we wonder whether or not that's happening here. And we'll get to that, I hope. Uh, it, it may be... Uh, before the uh, I'm done, and I'm hustling now. And I'm doing good. I'm on page seven. You only got three or four to go. So a piece of cake. Easy as pie. Easy as cake, piece of pie, one or the other. So in other words, is this meeting that's occurring with Judas and Satan inside of him and these, these religious leaders of the Jews, is this meeting that is occurring, is this happening... Uh, in John 13, it says that they departed and went into the night. And it says that, uh, he says to do quickly. Okay. Can, uh, can you kill this a second for me? I don't think you can. Okay. I don't know if I really want this to go over the internet, but I guess I will. Go ahead. We'll just keep it rolling. Who just left? The Mormons left. Now, I had them here last week, too. I had one of them, nice young man. He was mentally 
Um, he's, he's a, I, I've seen him lately because uh, he comes out and helps us, uh, and, and I've won him over. But he also, great difficulty. What makes them leave? How often did I say, you must believe I am or you will perish in your sins? As often as I can. You must believe that he is omniscient God. How many times did I say it? You should, I wish I'd filmed them. You should have watched them. Same thing with the young man. Now, he's, he's um, mentally unbalanced. Is that a good, uh, Catherine, Jason? Yeah, yeah, he's not. So he's innocent, and he's blessed, and he's on his way to heaven. That's how God does it. But he's also a Mormon. His family is Mormon. And all I had to do was say that, and it just twists them. It just causes them all kinds of problems. And if you do that, when they come to your door, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, just open it up and go, you must believe I am the I am. Exodus 3.14, you must believe that. If you don't, you will perish in your sins. It is as clear as a bell. Now, they didn't notice that when they... Joseph Smith did not notice John 8.24. Charles Taz Russell, when he started the Jehovah's Witnesses, did not notice that. And that's all you got to do. They did pretty good, didn't they, Jack? Didn't they? How long did they? Uh, did you expect them to stay? Oh, they did. I, I, I could just watch them, and it's devastating to watch them. They don't know what to do with it. And so, anyway, feel free to bring as many Mormons here as you can. Are Jehovah's Witnesses. I will, I will not stutter for their sake. What did I just do to them? I have ruined their trial. Because they're going to stand before Jesus Christ, Almighty God, on the throne, the invisible God made visible. The, he is the manifestation of the invisible Godhead. So whenever you see God physically in the Bible, it is Christ. They're going to sit in front of him one day, and they're going to have to say, I didn't believe you were God. That's serious. They're not going to be able to say, I didn't run into a watchman, because I've ruined their trial. This is Ezekiel, baby. This is what I'm doing. I, I can't, I don't save anybody. I know I can't save anybody, so what's my job? Tell them. Be a watchman. Otherwise, what? Their blood is on my hands. I read that really carefully before I signed up for the pastor job. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make sure that they know. So, anyway, back to we are. I was just thrilled they were here. I was stunned they almost made it to the buffet. Now I know that they, they weren't intending to make it to the buffet. But uh, I have ruined their life. What did I just do? I tore down their Lego thing. I did. Okay. Now, setting aside that Satan entered Judas, like I said, we're going to figure that out later. Is this, did this meeting happen? In other words, did Luke write this in order or did he insert this? Because it could go either way with the and and the now, and we'll get into that in the coming uh, couple of lectures. 
And so ultimately this becomes how many Satan entrants of Judas is the question. If there's one, then you don't have as many problems as if there's two. If there's two, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with two. I don't have a problem with the two view. Uh, in fact, I think it has a lot of merit. But now you've got to say, why did he enter him before this conference? And why did he enter him before Gethsemane? So you just got more questions to answer if you have, in other words, your essay, your tower is bigger. Your essay is longer. You have more to do if you have the two position. And in any event, it isn't a, that difficult of a question to deal with. And it makes me wonder why the Internet is so sure that that's a contradiction in Scripture when it clearly is not. Okay? So, but for now, I just want you to notice that they feared the people. They were very afraid of the people being there. They want people there. They wanted this done in the absence of the multitude. And I have the position that Judas, he wanted many people around as he could get. Because what's he thinks is going to happen? Bomb's going to blow. Let's get, gather them all in here. And they sought how they might kill him. So they got a plan. We got to kill this person somehow. They don't know it's God. We've got to kill him somehow. And they were glad. They were delighted. They were joyful. They were celebrating when Judas comes to them with this plan. Because they had no solution. Now we're going to kill this unkillable person. He walks through us when we try to capture him. We surround him and he walks right through us. How are we going to kill somebody that can do that? So that tells us a lot here. Judas then must have had what kind of plan? He goes to people that are, that are masters at controlling crowds, masters at killing their enemies. They can't figure out what to do. They have no plan. And he brings them a plan. And the plan's going to work. And they're jumping up and down. How long did he take to convince them? That he could do it without the multitude being there. That he really could hand them over. He could really hand him over. And they agree to something. He wants something. What does he want? He wants the Zechariah 11 money. And they know what that means. They know the Zechariah 11 money what? What's it say? Whoever gets the Zechariah 11 money is probably the who? Is the Messiah. So he's saying to them, I am the Messiah. Who's inside of him? Satan is. How powerful is he? Really powerful. Did they ask for proof? What are they always asking Christ to do to prove that he's the Messiah? What are they asking? Show us a sign. Do you think they, they're going to hand over that Zechariah 11 money without wanting a sign? What sign did he give them? Christ gave them the sign of Jonah. He said, adulterous, evil generation, I'm not going to give you a sign except the sign of Jonah. What sign did they ask Judas Satan? And what sign did he give him? Give them. And they were glad. They were delighted. They accused Christ of having Satan inside of him. Here they have the person who does have Satan inside of him. Do they care? What did Christ call them all the time? Brood of vipers, your father is the devil, he called them. You wander the earth and make someone a greater son of hell than yourselves. This is what these two men are doing. That's why they came. So, Judas had a great plan. All he wanted, I'm going to give you the plan. In exchange for the plan, 
I want the Zechariah 11, I'm going to say this really fast, I want the Zechariah 11 silver blood atonement wages, 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 24, Exodus 30, 11 through 15. I want, he says, the Zechariah 11 silver blood atonement wages in exchange for my plan and what I will do. And they are delighted. And Jerusalem, as I said, is filled with people, multitudes. It's a pilgrimage feast day, and the chief priests are afraid of the people. they got a guy out there healing everybody that comes near him, doing everything, feeding thousands. He can walk through you. He walks on water. He can make you fall down if all he says is his name. How are you going to capture him? How are we going to deliver him? Why does he want to be delivered? Because God wants to be delivered, doesn't he? Most people say so he can die. That's true. But that's not the first reason. What's the first reason he wants to be delivered? What's the scripture say? Give me the scripture. To the Jew first. To the Jew first. Okay. So. Here's the deal. This handing over must be done at night because they don't want the people around. So, at the place. Judas knew the place, John 18:2, because the multitude wouldn't be near. I don't think that's part of Judas. I think that's an agreement upon. He's going to take the money. So there are many answers now in Luke 22:1. How can they kill him? They can't. He's God. And strategically, however, they don't want to kill him because in, in front of witnesses, how come? They don't want to be blamed for his death. How come? They want somebody else blamed for his death. Who? They want the Romans blamed. Why? This is a convoluted, not convoluted, it's a very complex plan. They can't kill him, they don't know that, literally. But strategically, they can't be blamed for his death. So they don't, they need the Romans to be in, responsible. Ultimately, he's brought up on what charge by the Romans and executed what? And by the way, did the Romans kill God? Don't be silly. Don't watch those movies. Or when the, when the part comes out where the Romans kill God, boo, at least that. He was charged with treason, with sedition. And who's he crucified with? Jewish insurgents, freedom fighters, if you will. So that's what he's crucified for, ultimately. And who got the blame for it? Did the Pharisees get blamed? No, the Romans. We had to turn him over, you know. We got And they got him at night. That was the plan because Christ is surrounded, as I said, by desperate, sick, dying people by the thousands. So they can't get near him. And if they tried to get near him, it would be like shutting down the hospital. The, the sick people would rise up and slaughter them. Not going to happen. So where is Jesus at night? No one knows the place except who? The disciples and Jesus. Judas knows the place. He knows that this is where Christ wants to be handed over. Obvious question. Why does he want to be handed over at the Garden of Gethsemane? It's an olive press. That's your key. It's about olives. But Judas knows the place. So to sum up, 
Judas gives them the how to kill Christ, if you will. In exchange, Judas wants the Zechariah 11, silver blood, atonement, census, ransom, good shepherd wages. Exodus 30, 11 through 16. He wants the atonement money. I'm going to take out the word atonement and put in the other word for it. He wants the what? The blood money. Silver is atonement money, Exodus 30, 11 through 16. That's why David, when he has a census, he counts people without the blood money. If you count people without the blood money, what happens to you? You get a plague. I'm sorry, I said Exodus 30. What I really meant was uh, 2 Samuel 24, or 1 Samuel 24, whatever it is. 1 Samuel 24. But Judas wants this money. Where does he keep it? Where does he keep it? He obviously keeps it in the money box. That's why he always wants the money box. Down the stretch, you got to have the money box. He wanted the money box from the very beginning. How come he wanted the money box from the very beginning? He intends to put the Zechariah 11 blood money in it. Which is why he and Judas Satan, why he and Satan take it with him all the time. John 13, 29. Okay, the key question. Did Judas slash Satan always intend to throw the atonement money at the potter? Is he always, did he always intend to throw the blood money, Zechariah eleven thirteen, at the temple potter? Because he does, Matthew 27. Was it his intention? Or did he want to just keep it to keep Christ from throwing it? Because it seems that Christ is the one, the good shepherd is the one that throws it. And certainly, Judas slash Satan did not want Christ to throw the money, because if Christ throws the money, what's the crowd going to think he is? He's the Messiah. They know the gig here. Judas is going to throw the money if anybody does, or maybe no one will. But somebody's going to throw it at some point. Why do we know that? Zechariah 11 is prophecy, 13, 11, 13 through 14. So, we have to go over Zechariah 11, 13, and 14. Is this passage what's called Hebrew double reference, like Isaiah 7? In other words, who throws the money in Zechariah 11, 13 through 14? Does the good shepherd throw it, or does Satan Judas throw it? And did Satan and Judas figure it out? Okay, Matthew 27, 3 through 9. It, it should be noted. Flip over there. Don't have time to read it, but flip over there. It should be noted that this happens. Then I have to read it. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned. Oops. That's an oops. He didn't think the nuclear bomb was going to, de or going to defuse itself. Seeing that Christ had been condemned was regretful. The word means regretful, not remorseful. Cross out remorseful. Cross out then. Cross out and. I'm sorry. Cross out then and put and or, or, or now. How many translation mistakes does your Bible have? See, that's a problem. In its original form, it's what? Perfect. Which means you've got to do what? You've got to go hunt. You've got to make sure before you run off in some position. Then Judas, his deliverer, his hander over, seeing that he had been condemned, was regretful and brought back the 30 pieces. It just says 30 pieces or the 30 silvers to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned. Ah, that's extraordinary. Who is this? Satan with Judas. I have sinned. 
by handing over innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see. Actually, it's what to us? You see. Then he threw down the, the pieces of silver, or he threw down the silver into the temple where he's supposed to, because that's exactly what Zechariah 11 says, and departed and went out and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces, or took the silver, and said, it's not lawful. Do these people care? Why do they care? I mean, the first obvious question why do, I, why do they care about this? They're going to gather it all up and say, Whoa, it's not lava. Whoa, we can't touch it. Yeah, we got to buy a field. Why are they doing that? Because these are who? What kind of people are they? The nasty, nasty people. How many conferences did they have with Judas? How, long, how many times did they go over the plan? So what's the obvious question? Is this part of the plan? And when you read this, did you assume that this had never been discussed before, all of this little detail? That they just kind of did it off the spot, off top of their heads? Oh, hey, oh, look, he's been condemned. What do I do? Oh, I'll throw the pieces, then I'll go hang myself. Oh, we'll fret over the pieces. We'll go buy some real estate. These are very clever, sinister men. Nothing. Everybody's got a teleprompter here. No, nothing is left to chance. Nothing. Everybody's got a playbook. Everybody's got a script. Everybody knows. Except who? The audience. Okay? I, you need to know this. Matthew 27, 3 through 9, when I just read, occurs before a large group of people. I have a whole bunch of people coming out. I'm in the temple, on the temple grounds. This large group of people is a procession. And who's there? Who's in the procession? Jesus Christ is in the procession. The I am, God is. And they're walking across the temple grounds, if you will, across the temple mount. They're walking. How many people are watching them? This is a big deal. What is Christ? How does he look? He's being led by them, and he's bound up, right? they led and bound, and they're walking across. Now, what happens? Group, big, huge group of people. Everybody, if you want to think of it this way, in bleachers watching. This is a big deal. I had a multitude in this. In, I have a pilgrimage festival. They're walking across. I got the captains, I got the scribes, I got the Pharisees, and I have Christ bound and being led. That's something he wanted, by the way. He's in total control of this. He wants to be led and he wants to be bound. That's important. That's a detail that he wants. Now what happens? Judas comes in. Boom. Stops the procession. Stop. I have delivered innocent blood. That's what happens. How many people hear what he says? How many people see him? Didn't want him captured at night, did they? Didn't want any witnesses. Here they want witnesses by the boatload. 
He's being handed over, Christ is, to the Roman governor. And it's a big deal. Lots of witnesses. And Judas interrupts it. He stops this very public event and he fulfills Zechariah 11.13. Now ask yourself, Satan and Judas and Christ are side by side. I have Satan here and I have Christ there. I have them side by side. I have Satan, Judas, and I have Jesus Christ. There they are. I tell you that they were literally side by side. Now, that is not to be discounted. That's a serious, important thing. In front of a great crowd, in front of all these Levites, in front of the Pharisees, in front of the scribes, Judas gives this speech, throws the blood money, the 30 silver, or the silver, literally. And notice the contrast, as I said, the handing over to the Jewish authorities is done at night. No witnesses. The Pharisees didn't want anybody to know that what they were doing was a secret, devious plot. They didn't want anybody to know that. How come? They didn't want anybody to know that they intended to turn over the Messiah. Did they know it was the Messiah? Did they know Jesus Christ was the Messiah? He proves it. He casts out the demon from the deaf mute. He's healed thousands and thousands of people. They're going to hand over the Messiah. They don't want anybody to know that they know that they're doing that. And all of this is carefully choreographed in great public view. Judas prominently featured each and every part. It took many hours, many meetings. What would be said? Who would say it? Nothing left to chance. It's intentional. Shepherds are side by side, Zechariah 11. I have the idle shepherd here, and I have the good shepherd here. I have the Antichrist here, and I have the Christ here. Now, of course, Judas Satan did not expect Christ to be bound and led, in my view. They expected Christ to resist, and he did not, and that's a big oops. And this statement by Judas Satan, I think, is very important. I have sinned. What, what do they mean? I've made a mistake. I've made an error. Why would he admit that in front of all of these people? What's his plan? He's got a bunch of people there. He's admitting he's made an error. And I don't believe that that's in the original plan. So we must try to figure out what was going to occur besides that. Because Matthew 27, 4, I think, is an adjustment. It only works as an adjustment. It's the result of another meeting, an emergency session. Because Judas never expected him to go quietly. So what's he going to do now after Gethsemane? Call another meeting. We've got to change the plan. He never thought about whether or not he'd throw the money. Now he's going to throw the money. And he's going to come in and say, this is, an, this is innocent blood. Why is he going to do that? I have made a mistake. And then what does he do next? He runs out and hangs himself over the field of blood that he bought. This ridiculous, public, sanctimonious stage, field of blood, cover-up thing. And that's where I say, obviously, we're going to have lecture number 23 and 24. I want to address Judas splitting open. He splits open, right? Because that's what it says in Acts. He's hanging, and then his entire body splits, and he bleeds all over the field, and his intestines uh, come out. Judas splits open as he hangs from a tree. Deuteronomy 21:23, Galatians 3:13, Acts 1:18 through 19. And this causes 
great angst on the Bible has contradiction websites written by atheists particularly who have no understanding of Old Testament typology. Because you see, you should expect Judas to split open. Why would you expect Judas to split open? In fact, I'm going to tell you, he has to split open. It's critical that he splits open. It's very important. He's got to split open. Does he know it? The question is, is how, how do he do it? How do I know that he's got to split open? Because I've read Psalm 22. I've read Isaiah 53. I've read Genesis 2.21. What's Genesis 2.21? Adam. God goes into the side of Adam, doesn't he? It says Sela. doesn't mean the rib. The word is translated side, T-S-E-L-A. He goes into the side of Adam. Out of the side of Adam, he pulls out the blood and the tissue and the bone, and he makes, he builds a woman. So out of the side, the pierced side of Christ, comes the blood of Christ, and out of the blood of Christ comes the church. So I have this typological relationship between the first Adam and the last Adam. So I expect Judas to read Genesis 2.21. I expect that Satan knew how Eve was made. Then I read Psalm 22, and I can figure out that he's going to be crucified. I can read Isaiah 53, and I know he's going to be what? What's the song? Pierced. He's got to be pierced for what? Our transgressions. That's what Christ said. Okay? Leviticus also is filled with blood, atonement, blood covering. Zechariah 12.10 says this. Israel, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Israel will mourn for Jesus Christ whom they pierced. Now, how do you pierce God? That's a very important question, by the way. So the bleeding of Christ is everywhere in the Old Testament. I believe Judas and Satan would know that. And so they would have to be prepared for the piercing of Judas. But how do I explain Isaiah 53? That's what we call the Messiah ben Joseph and the Messiah ben David question. And I'll explain that in the next two weeks. So, how many answers did I give you? Why did Judas buy the real estate? He has a counterfeit piercing to do. Why did the Pharisees buy real estate with the 30 pieces of silver? Was it the same real estate? It was clearly a staged act, wasn't it? Did they really buy the real estate or did they pretend to? What were they doing? How many conferences? What did we decide at the conference? We decided how to do this in front of all these witnesses in such a way that we could create something. What are we trying to create? I have what? I have the Christ and the Antichrist side by side. That's what they wanted to create. Why? Because they, wanted, they want to cause something. What do they want to cause? A choice. They want, the, they want the nation of Israel to choose someone. One of these choices has to be done. That's the whole purpose of the planning, is to create this choice. Okay, how many times did Satan enter Judas? Maybe twice, maybe once. Figure that out next week. Why did Judas hang himself? For the same reason that he bought the real estate. Cursed is he who hangs from a tree. He knows he's got to hang from a tree. He knows he's got to bleed. And he knows he's got to be pierced. What's he doing? 
He's adjusting really quickly. Because as soon as Christ allowed himself to be bound and walked away, what did Judas and Satan do? We missed something. We missed something. We have to adjust. How smart are they? Very smart. And they adjust very quickly. And that's what you're seeing in Matthew 27, 4. This very fast adjustment. Adjustment. Because they figured out he's going to die like a Levitical sacrifice. Why is he doing that? Next week, we'll finish it.